Hello and welcome to the very third episode of the newest show on the Stat Check Network. It's time for Take All Comers, Episode 3, The Power of the Pivot. I'm your host, Tyler Bortel, and with me I have of my co-hosts... Nicholas Olson-Johnson. And the illustrious... Nice. That's your boy, Lucas. Fastest mute button hands in the West, brother. Uh, today is, of course, the day of all days because we are bringing you some hot and fresh Warhammer 40,000 content covering a topic that is um, a bit controversial, shall we say, in the, in the community at large. Uh, and that is, is uh, as you might have guessed by the name of the episode, uh, being a uh, an army swap. It's time to time to play around and and, uh, and jump to some new factions. Uh, it's very funny. A couple years ago, back when we were on the Best in Tabletop Network, our second ever episode uh, discussed the concept of faction loyalty. We came in and espoused the benefits of sticking with one army for a prolonged period of time. We talked about just what it is that faction specialization can bring to the table and how much value that can provide both in a single setting and a team setting. And today we're going to talk about the exact opposite of that because we like winning. But before we jump into any of that and break down on some uh, some interesting opinions, I'm sure that'll be a little bit all over the place here. I got to check in with the boys first. How are we doing today, Lucas? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I'm glad it's the weekend. I am finally starting to feel adjusted to my new work schedule. Um, I got a new job like three weeks ago. Thank fucking God. And um, it's uh, it's got some interesting hours. I'm working like 6 a.m. to 3 which, you know, has its upsides and downsides. I really love the, the extra time in the afternoon and evening to hang out and do the things I want to, mostly involving, like, getting home at 3.30 and just painting for several hours straight, which is really lovely. But uh, getting up early has definitely taken some adjustments. So I think I think my brain has finally adjusted to it, though, because this morning I woke up at 6 o'clock, looked at, looked at the time, and I was like, God damn it, let's go. We made it, boys. We're finally accustomed to it. So, um, yeah, that felt pretty good. So yeah, doing well overall, um, feeling confident in the new job, which is really great. And um, excited about the world of Warhammer as well. We got some, <coughs> excuse me, cool tournaments coming up in the month of March. We've got the uh, Cascade Clash put on by Aegis Games up in the Bellingham Mount Vernon area, which is gonna be really fun. That still has tickets available, by the way. I know we've been shouting it out for several shows now, but um, if you're in the area, or even if you're looking to travel and early on in March, uh, it's in two. it starts two weeks from today in Mount Vernon. Um, you can find it on BCP by looking up Aegis, and that's going to be a really fun event, so looking forward to seeing some of you guys there. And then also we have the we have Rose Hammer 2, which is going to be put on at the Lloyd Center Mall um, this year. Uh, things are kind of in flux with that tournament right now, so we're kind of unsure about a lot of the details, but it sounds like it is still happening, which uh, is, you know, is not nothing. So we're very excited about that as well, and that'll be happening later on in March. So a lot of fairly big tournaments up here. Uh, we're used to kind of smaller 40 to 60 person GTs max, um, which are, are good fun, but it's nice to have some some larger events to go and, and compete at. So I'm excited for those as well. So doing very well. How are you, Nick? I'm doing all right. You know, uh, Beach Hammer was a very fun weekend. Uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of us got sick that weekend. So still recovering from that. Um, got a bit of a scratchy throat this morning, but... It's not going to get in the way of my love for Warhammer. Uh, I had two practice games scheduled this week. Unfortunately, one got canceled, but I didn't get to play one last night. 
the Cascade Clash mission pack was released early. Love people that do that. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a very cool and, I don't know, it's a thing that I hope more TOs do around here. Um, so, love to see that. Uh, Tyler and I, well, it was a game that I organized with our buddy Enrique. Uh, we got to test on the Ritual and Scrambler Fields, which is a mission that we don't really have a lot of experience playing because a lot of TOs around here don't like that mission. Uh, but it's a very important mission to practice because it's very strange. Um, and also, a lot of the times, people forget the Scrambler Fields effect, so I kind of needed to get that into my brain. Uh, and Tyler was around, so we kind of got to do this interesting, oh my god, how do we play this mission with our army? Um, so yeah, that was a super fun puzzle to try to figure out. So, yeah, just looking forward to more practice. I got a list that I'm pretty ex excited to be bringing to um, to Cascade. And, yeah. I'm ready to wrap it. Run the reps. How about you, Tyler? How are you doing? I am doing real freaking well. Very excited, like y'all said, about Cascade. Also had a great time at Beach Hammer. Also managed to come home with a little case of Ligma which has been a bit of a bummer. Um, I ended up missing out on a lot of this week because I was sick and am now trying to rapidly catch up on the things that I missed out on. That being said, our boys, both our boys in terms of Team USA and in terms of stat check are over in Poland right now at Pyra, which is super hype. Been repping real hard uh, with the pairings team to get ready for that. Um, we're, uh, I think so far we have... Uh, Trounce the Netherlands and Scotland. Sorry, not sorry, Ennis. And we're playing Poland like as we speak. Um, so we'll see how uh, how that shakes out. But very excited for our boys in red, white, and blue over there, who are uh, who are bringing it home. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm real excited to see what's going on. As we're going to talk about in this episode, uh, playing Warhammer has been very different recently for me than it has been for a minute. Um, and I'm uh, I'm excited. We got we're gonna have a really busy couple of weeks coming up, um, but in kind of the calm before the storm right now. So trying to take advantage of it while we can. Sweet. Well, with that all out of the way, let's jump right on in to our uh, our main topic of of the show today, which is uh, pivoting. Aren't we swapping and jumping over to other stuff that is uh, relevant and. This kind of came up as our, as our show topic for this week, um, because all three of us have in the last couple of weeks had a little bit of experience with jumping into something that is totally um, unfamiliar. Uh, for myself, of, of, uh, as I alluded to last week, I had been getting a lot of feedback that uh, bugs are bad, <laughs> like they, they are. Um, and the specific types of things that I like to do can be accomplished better with other factions. Uh, in particular, um, when the when the Necron Codex dropped, uh, the Hypercrypt Ephesian comes out and says, "Hey, you can have twenty warriors that deep strike at three inches and then fire and fade five. And Steve Trimble and I are like, "This is the craziest thing ever!" Um, and then people said, "It's probably not that good. Maybe it is that good. We'll find out soon." Um, but uh, that was that is like that is my kind of unit right there. Like anything where I can be in massive control of getting maximal value out of this giant unit of high OC dudes that are getting into really awkward positions do okay damage, but focus primarily on a really great move block delay, slow things down, score points. Like I'm all over that stuff. Um, and it like, it's a better unit of gargoyles at the end of the day. Uh, it doesn't blood surge, but you know, it does what it does. So I was excited about that. 
Um, I know Nick talked, I'm pretty sure Nick talked on the show uh, last week about his, uh, his, his, his situ- situation there. But I mean, just to, to recap, Nick, what, uh, what brought uh, a you to be, to be playing something fresh last weekend? Yeah. So we are preparing a local team of PNW um, players to bring the Champions Cup in the fall. And we we're kind of Lucas and myself and Tanner, uh, who on our first episode, uh, we're all on the team along with Tyler. Um, and Lucas and Tanner and myself were talking one night and kind of looking through like which factions in the game are good right now. Obviously, that's like two, three patches out. So things might change, but we're kind of just looking in general, like what coverage do we have? And there's like basically no one on the team that plays like Eldar or Tau. And Tanner was trying to convince me, like, you already play Votan. Votan has very similar skill sets to like, Tau. Um, and like you've played Harlequins in the past, you played Eldar in 8th edition. Like these armies are kind of within your skill set and seem like you'd enjoy them. You should give them a try. And so I was like, well, I'm going to give Tau a try. Um, I was going to give Eldar a try. Um, but unfortunately, the Eldar army that was like brought for me to practice didn't have any bases on it. So I didn't have time to locate bases for the weekend. So I'm like, I'll just play Tau because Tyler brought like an entire Tau army for me to play. So um, yeah, we'll be talking a little bit about how that Tau practice went. Sweet. And then uh, Lucas over here, famed only orc player, definitely nothing else. Uh, I know that you've been uh, experimenting with uh, some fresh stuff for a while recently, but in particular, I think there was a pretty exciting hard pivot that you made into something totally different. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, I've kind of noticed for a while now that um, my skills as a player um, really revolve around certain things. I feel like I'm, I'm very, very good at some aspects of the game. I feel like I'm strongest when I'm playing a list that has a lot of like redundant units. So I feel like whenever people talk about a list that I was playing that they were very terrified of, it was like, you know, six different types of units and then three of each, or you know, five, five different types of units and three of each of them, like three kill rigs, three pigs, three war bosses, three snaggers, three storm boys. I like having all of that redundancy and backup in case one little part drops out of the puzzle. I've got two more units to go and do that same job. Um, or, you know, mech guns and orcs. There was like three squads of five commandos. There was five squads of 30 boys, and there was three squads of mech guns of some number. Like that, that level of redundancy is something that I really enjoy. And I think we can see that in, in my Chaos Knights experience as well, right? Like I'm in ninth edition, I was playing three brigands and six stalkers and a big knight, you know, just lots of the same type of thing. And now uh, last fall, I was seeing a lot of success with five to six carnivores, five to six brigands. So just lots of the same thing over and over again so that if one piece drops out, I'm not completely shit out of luck. I wanted to kind of work on that a little bit because not every list in the game and not every meta is going to be friendly to spamming the same type of units over and over again, even if it's what I'm most comfortable with. So I wanted to try doing some new things and um, also just kind of work on my list building ability and... um, because that's something that I've noticed I'm not super great at is like innovating and finding new things. I'm kind of just like stubborn and stuck in my ways. So I wanted to try to build some, some, some new lists. Uh, so I had some, uh, there was kind of some rumblings uh, without going too much into it um, on Team USA about like Marines because there's just so many different chapters in there that do not only chapters but different detachments that do very well. You know, people talk about playing Black Templars in two or three different detachments, people talking about playing Ultramarines in several different detachments, yada, yada, yada. There's just a lot of good builds in Marines. And I noticed that no one was playing one of the builds that everyone was talking about, which was Black Templars in Ironstorm, or just Black Templars in general. 
Um, Jack was playing a little bit of the Gladius, which he, uh, you know, waxes poetic about at every opportunity. Um, rightfully so, it's a pretty cool list. Uh, but I would notice that no one was playing just the, the straight up Iron Storm. And so I wanted to give that a shot. Um, I started getting some reps with the Iron Storm in like late November, and I played it all the way up until like the end of last month, which was pretty cool. So I got like three months in of games, maybe like 20, 30 games max. Um, it was pretty fun, and uh, I'll be talking a little bit about that um, over the course of this show. It was fun to kind of just like see a different as uh, avenue of Warhammer. Um, you know, I'm usually like a fairly aggressive board control type player, even if I'm not just like directly running at people. Um, so it was cool to be able to have to figure something else out. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit about that process of, of, of trying to build the list, uh, to, to something that I can actually utilize over the course of the show. And then recently I've also gotten excited about Death Guard. So that is a very new, like just in the last week kind of development. So I might be playing some more of those games going forward, but that it's definitely still in the works. Very cool. Sweet. So. All three of us sort of at this little bit of a uh, bit, bit of nexus of playing stuff that we don't have a ton of experience with um, that may be something worth taking to events, might not be. Um, but uh, either way, the, the skill set required to make these kind of changes is similar. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, how to do it. I think the first question is, how do you know when it's time to make it, it, this kind of a pivot? And we all just sort of shared something about our anecdotes around and why we're doing these. But big picture, you know, how do you how do you think you were able to identify this as like a necessary change, uh, or you could if you were not in an environment where, say, your team is saying, "Hey, I need you to go play something else." Like, let's say you're in, you're in a you're in a singles journey, which most people are. Um, how do you how do you know that it's, that it's time to time to shake things up? I think the easiest uh, answer is quite intuitive. It's just when you're bored of what you're already playing. Um, and I, I definitely got a little bit of, so, of this over the fall. I was having a lot of fun playing Chaos Knights, but I could tell that my regular practice partners and the people that I was seeing at tournaments were like, oh, War Dogs again, blah. Um, and then, you know, I had played like 50 games with them between uh, like September and early December. So I was just kind of like, hey, you know, I, I have a lot of fun playing this list. I would definitely still play it no qualms at all but i was just getting a little bit like i've 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 seen most of what needs to be seen with this list let's try something new and figure something new out um so that that's that would be the first thing that i would recommend is if you're if if what you're already playing or one of your natural pivot armies is just not doing it for you uh, and that was the other thing for me was that i'm not i'm kind of sick of the orc detachment i don't think it's very fun um so the, the combination of those two being like, oh, I've seen everything I need to see with Chaos Science and I'm not really enjoying Orcs right now. Let's try something new and see how it goes. How about you? What do you think, Nick? Oh, sorry. Think about what? When to make a pivot to a new army or a new gotcha. patch. Thank you. I forgot the question. Um, hmm, at least for myself... So I definitely have a reputation amongst us, at least like the year I got like, I think really kicked it off with competitive Warhammer was probably 2022. Um, like 2021 was you guys kind of teaching me, reteaching me how to play the game because I hadn't played it for a year and a half um, or a year. And so 2022 was me like trying to hit the ground running. Like we were trying to go to all the tournaments we could. Um, 
And so a lot of the advice I got was like, because I think I really wanted to play Necrons. I'm like, Necrons are so cool. I love Necrons. And they were not that good. Um, and so the best advice I got was just like, find an army that you, like, you enjoy that is also strong. Because you'll learn a lot more skills playing with a strong army that you can then like apply to like your you know army of choice. Um, so for me, I think what I picked up Speedwall at first, and then swapping from that. A lot of that year, the the only the swapping was like as an army begins to feel less powerful because like usually over time the armies are getting nerfed. Um, or also as an army, I think for me too, there's a lot of times when I've like achieved what I've wanted to with an army. Like my goal is to go win a tournament with this army. Right. And so like once you've either done that or like once you've, um, like once the army has gotten significantly worse than when you started with it, that's kind of when I start looking for uh, a different army. Um, so yeah kind of my experience i think when you should pivot to a different army is when you're not enjoying that army anymore or it feels like significantly worse than you started with it um and provided there's like another army that's interesting to you out there um that is probably more powerful uh slash like you'd enjoy more um so like for myself right now uh what is it i am like kind of torn between votan and necrons I've been playing Votan a ton ever since they got buffed in the September patch. And I think that I was debating which one to play at the tournament. And like, I think you and Tanner brought up a good point. They're like, you should probably play Necrons right now. Cause like Necrons are like finally good. Like they have a book and also like they're a little bit too good. So, you know, this is kind of your moment to play them if you want to play them. Cause in a few months time, like they might not exist in their current, uh, capacity. Whereas Votan like just got a little bit of a nerf. They're probably not going anywhere. Um, so yeah. So that's, that's kind of my personal opinion. Uh, when to pivot is just, um, if there's a faction out there that looks, um, interesting to you and your current faction, you're not having fun with, or you feel is like significantly weaker compared to when you last played it. That's kind of when I look to, to swap to a different faction. And that's kind of the experience that you had, Tyler, right? You you were you were kind of playing a lot of games with bugs and kind of getting to a rhythm with it and figuring it out. And the, and then you saw that Hypercrypt was just kind of like Swarm Plus. <laughs> not not exactly. Like, it, it's not a one-to-one, but it does a lot of the same things, things that really, like, scratch that itch of, I enjoy this in your brain. Um, and then also give you, like, some new dynamics to explore. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, the like the way I think the, the way that Anthony would say this is like the time to pivot is when in is like the first time you notice yourself huffing copium is the, the like the current terminally online way to say that. Where if you find yourself feeling the need to justify the army that you're playing, you're probably playing a bad army. Um, if you're if you're looking around and you're like, man, like I, I realize that like there's all these downsides, but like trust me, like at the core that like there's something here, there's something really good. Um, you're knee deep in the army, so you want to uh, you want unto justify. You want it to work. You especially if it's a list that you wrote, like you want it to happen. Um, but if you're going to be out here being like, oh, 
but like if you, if you can't get the results with it that you'd like, like to have, like reevaluate why you're here and what you're uh, what you're enjoying about it. Like, I think the GSC to me fit into the category that it was talking about. Where like, man, when that army came out, like it was unfreaking stoppable. I did not lose games with that army hardly at all. Right? I would I, like I. I lost one game at Tacoma to some nonsense. I lost one game at War Masters to Arna. Like those were the tournament games that I lost with release GSC. It was utterly silly. Um, just how how ludicrously powerful that army was. And like I got hooked on that. Because man, 40 dudes, three inch deep striking, like, ah, it's my thing. Yeah, I just I love it. Um, and at a certain point, as the nerfs keep rolling in, like I'm out here like advocating for aberrance so hard like meant because this unit like does the thing um but at a certain point like i you have to get some outside perspective and recognize that like what you're doing isn't helping that much um so yeah so that's that's why we're taking our foot off of the gsce uh and that's why we're taking our foot off the nids um it uh it's a hard thing to do because like those are my babies and I worked really hard on them and I hobbied that Nids army till I was blue in the face. But like at the end of the day, like we're not like if you're, if you're here at the end of the day to put the models that you put love and care into on the table and that's the thing that ma- brings you the most joy, that's awesome. But like I'm also here to win games uh, and you will have more fun if you get to do the things you want to do and get the results, right? Like, I play a lot of armies that are how many hoops can I jump through to achieve baseline power level, which is really fun because you feel like a freaking genius every time you win a game. But like, why not feel like a genius when you did something clever and win a really important game? Like, I, I, I'm curious if you if you have some thoughts on this because you've seen this happen a lot. Where like I really, really have, have, have played a lot of stuff that involves wolves jumping through seven different hoops to win any game at all. Um, and I justified this previously as like I play stuff where if I play perfectly, I can't lose, and if I make mistakes, my opponent can't lose. Like there's, I try to take my opponent out of the picture as as much as possible, um, but that doesn't work in a repeated setting yeah that's exactly it is that kind of like tricksy cutesy like i'm just gonna like beat you with my brain type of play style is really fun when it works out and um is is you know it's one of the most dynamic ways to play the game but it's also super vulnerable to like my opponent went first and like brainlessly rushed his army at me and i had nothing to do because like i'd reach deep into the bag of tricks and he's on all the objectives and i can't do anything (laughs) Um, so yeah, I've definitely seen that happen and it was, it's cool in the last couple months to kind of see you, uh, fully come to terms with that and like, and acknowledge it, but also like be willing to, to, you know, to, to accept that that's the way you enjoy playing the game. I don't think there's anything wrong with having preferred ways to play the game. One of the most bullshit things I ever hear from, from, uh, really competitive players is like, play style isn't a thing. You need to be a master of everything. And I, I, the general theme of that I agree with, which is you need to be un- you need to understand different play styles and have different things in your toolkit. That's definitely very useful. But having a preferred play style and default way to play the game 
doesn't make you uh, exploitable. Um, it it just like except it's it's just the reality of the situation for basically every single Warhammer player. Like I don't think there's anyone who's so well rounded that they don't have a favorite place or certain thing that they're strongest at. That's a total load of bullshit. Um, so acknowledging that you have this way that you enjoy playing the game, but also that you're willing to work on new things and and try different ways to play um, was really cool. So I'm excited for you. Thank you. Yeah, I think I think that brings us into to my next question pretty well, which is like how how do you make this decision of what we're going to pivot to, right? Like, you're an Orc player and a Chaos Knight player. I would not have guessed indirect spam Black Templars is the natural progression of those two things. Um, uh, like, that is... There's something, like... There's something going... Like, what... How, how do you... Like, just really for you right now, how did you make that choice? And then we can take a step backwards and talk about uh, some bigger picture ideas. Like, how does that happen? Well, I mean, it definitely was not the natural progression at all. And um, to begin with, that's, that's why I kind of struggled with the list to begin with. Um, when I first started playing, I got like three or four reps in with uh, Righteous Crusaders playing a list very similar to what our homie Max plays around here, which is like a lot of big, tough units, a bunch of Crusaders and Rhinos. You know, the list is really tough. Um, the Righteous Crusaders almost always choose six up Feel No Pain and five up Leadership making them really, really resilient. Um, and you with, uh, you know, especially before the points changes, you could run a lot of Firstborn Crusaders and Rhinos and just try to swarm people. The problem was that list had basically no backup plan or anything to do if, if, if some things went wrong. And especially on the WTC tables, that many holes and that many bodies really got congested on a lot of the tables, which one of my least favorite feelings in the game is like coming up to a scenario, especially mid game. Like if I walked into a table and I'm like, this is unfavored, I'm going to try to make this happen, but he's got two avatars and I've got 12 war dogs. Like I, the math just doesn't add up at the end of the day. So I'll give it my best shot. But if I, if I run into a scenario in like turn two or three where I'm like, I could have had an avenue in this game if something went differently, or I misplayed something on turn one and now I'm seriously on the back, but that is some of the most tilting things in the world to me. So there were definitely a couple of games where I'm like, I if I just like turned my brain on for half a second or made a slightly different list building decision before the game, like I I wouldn't be in this infuriating situation right now. So you know, enough games of just like being move blocked into oblivion or someone just shoots guns at me and their five man little unit completely blocks my melee only army from running at them, like. I was just so done with it. Um, so I wanted something new that still kept a couple of the things, a lot of the things that Righteous Crusaders were good at, but added a new dynamic that forced the opponent to come to me. And that's something that I really like doing, uh, you know, in, in all the, the successes I've had in, pre in pre previous Warhammer metas is I want the pressure to be on the opponent to, um, I want them to be on the back foot. I want to be in control of the game of the game. And that's why I like these like board control armies like Orcs and Chaos Knights is if I'm controlling the board and I have all the say over who's getting the points, then it's your the onus is on you to come to me. And that just wasn't true for Righteous Crusaders. Throwing in three whirlwinds and a bunch more plasma inceptors really meant that, you know, the opponent felt the need to come and start interacting with me so that I was pressured to like drop my units on them and, and start interacting with them. Otherwise I would have just continued to tax them. Uh, and that was kind of like a, a cool Netro expansion. So that was, even though the indirect didn't, isn't like really connected to Chaos Knights or Orcs at all, like it's just something that those armies don't have in any <laughs> abundance, excuse me. Play style wise, it kind of follows on because it, it, uh, 
it really just doubles down on the let's control the board, let's put the pressure on the opponent to come to me. Um, so that's kind of the, the way I saw it in my head as I was learning it. Um, and the list was pretty cool. It um, kind of the, the gist of it is it was one to two rhinos full of firstborn crusaders. It was 12 to 15 inceptors. It was three whirlwinds and two. Um, what's the stupid boat called for the Primaris? Impulsors full of sword yeah. brethren. And um, it was pretty cool. I thought the sword brethren were something that um, nowadays we're not really seeing at all in Black Templar lists, even Ironstorm ones. Um, and, and, you know, a couple months ago, two to three months ago, I wasn't really seeing them either. And I thought that was a, a serious blunder, especially at the lower points cost. Hellbrecht was just stupid. And even the second squad um, could kind of like play skirmish around the flank. There were many games where I just put it in strat reserve and said, you know, you're worried about screening acceptors. You're worried about the indirect. You're worried about the crusaders stealing objectives. Now you have to worry about an ingress threat from a melee unit in the boat that can come in and, and charge your flank. So I really liked having the, um, the double melee unit to go and punish people with. Um, Lucas, is, is your play style just like giving your opponent an anxiety disorder? Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I want to make them as uncomfortable as possible. That's like the best way to win Warhammer is like give your opponent way too many things to think about. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's something that CK do super well. But um, for, for Black Templars, it was here are these three or four things that you all need to think about. And like, yeah, they're not as like insanely hard hitting as Chaos Knights or as fast but they'll start adding up over the course of the game. And, uh, yeah, um, the if you've never been hit by Iron Storm um, Sword Brethren, by the way, that is a, that is a nasty combo. Definitely not as hard-hitting as the uh, Righteous Crusaders guys with the lethal hits from the Castellan. Um, but uh, what's it called? Mercy's Weakness is uh, a hell of a drug. Hell yeah, man. So to, to kind of take a step back and, and re recap up that there, you, it seems like when you made this decision, you didn't see the way either this would, this would make sense as a, as a step for you. But once you settled on, oh, this is a thing I want to do, you went in and found the parts of it that mirrored things that you already knew how to do and what to do with them and were able to then leverage that as your way in. So you, you found the why after you did it. Does, does that, yeah, is that so right? After I did it. And the reason I did it was like I was talking about a, because I was a little bit bored of orcs and chaos knights, but also I was looking around at our internal team. This was something I did again recently with death guard. I was looking around and seeing this is a defi deficiency in our, you know, our player base. Like we have a lot of Marine players, but no one is exploring this thing that everyone is talking about what's happening. You know, same thing with death guard. Everyone's talking about death guard right now and how good they are in teams. We have Tim playing them, and that's cool. Like Tim's doing a great job, but one person ex exploring one of the best factions in the game seems woefully deficient to me. Um, so you know, uh, you know, seeing that in November and talking to the guys on the team, and they're like, "Yeah, the whirlwinds are absurd. They blow me up every time we play against them." Yo, are you willing to play the list or try it out or experiment on it? No, it's cringe. Uh, indirect is dumb. Okay, awesome. Thanks, guys. Um, so. Yeah, there was a lot of that, and after, you know, a couple weeks of that in over the fall, I just decided, you know, screw it, I'm going to jump in whole hog and discover this. Fair enough. Can we expect to see you playing, um, uh, what is it, Black Templars, or is uh, Ironstorm with the six Reapers uh, soon, under sim similar guys? I played that a couple times for practice. It was, it's pretty fun. 
Um, the tanks definitely shoot really hard, and uh, it's cool to play that list. I I don't I don't think I would. I'm, I'm not. I don't think I would ever choose to play it voluntarily, like for singles. But if people want like practice games in the in a team setting, or if we're trying to discover a list for teams, then definitely. Um, I played it a couple times as practice for Pyra, and that was pretty cool. Sounds like Lucas has volunteered to be our new shit's gun player on the team, dude. If if the team needs it, I'll do anything. When has that ever gone wrong before, dude? Um, sweet. Uh, yeah. What, what do you what do you what do you think about this, Nick? As a reminder to to backpedal all the way to the top. Um, the the overarching question here is, you know, how do you identify what is the right thing? to pivot it to um, once you've made that decision of like, okay, I know that this isn't, isn't working right now. I want something else. Do you just go to the dashboard and grab whatever has the highest win rate? Like what are, how are you going to make that decision for you as a player? I mean, my, my personal thing, like when I'm like not having fun with the army that I'm playing, or I feel like it's not putting up the results that I want to play. I look to the other armies that I enjoy. Right. So like right now, I would definitely classify myself as like a Necrons and Votan player. So I only have two. Last edition, I would probably have said um, at some point, like kind of near the end of the edition, like I know how to play Orcs somewhat well. I know how to play like Harlequins pretty well, uh, Necrons. And then when Votan came out, so I had like four things to kind of pivot around to. Um, And there was a little bit of back and forth uh, there. So for me, like my immediate response would be like, I guess with, Votan, right? If they weren't putting up the results that I'd want, I would immediately go look at like within the army, maybe there's a different list, and if I'm still not finding you know, anything that I really like, I'd probably turn to my other faction that I like right now, which is Necrons. Um, and like, uh, if you have more factions, they turn to more of those. After that, if you're not finding anything satisfying that like fits in your the way you like to play the game, or it's not putting up the results that you like, then that's kind of when I start to expand outwards and I go, okay, let's look at what other factions interest me, what maybe have similar strengths to like what I'm used to playing like, um, that sort of thing. And I've definitely like had p- periods of time where I'm like, dang, none of the factions that I play right now feel that good. What do I try? And like my immediate response is like, go find the strongest thing out there that like, like puts up the best results, but also looks the most interesting, right? Um, and like I maybe try a few games with it and be like, this army isn't for me, and like go kind of the next one. And I know too, like there's a lot of times, at least for me, there's always these armies. Like whenever whenever someone talks about an army they're really excited about, and like they start to kind of get into like the tips and tricks and like the deep list dives, I'm like, man, dude, that army sounds really cool. I have this big problem where like every army in 40k sounds really cool, but sometimes when you put that army on the table and push it around, you're like, this isn't it. Like this doesn't click well with me. Um, and so that's part of the part of the value of having such a big group out here in the Pacific Northwest. We have like a huge friend group that plays together, um, and like these practice weekends, like Beach Hammer, we're able to meet up in person, each bring an army or two, and then like try people's armies out for the weekend. Sometimes, um, like I know Tan- uh, Lucas was playing Tanner's Death Guard army uh, one night, um, and in the past I've like played other people's armies. Uh, like, I mean, I borrowed your cow army for you know, sake, you know, so. Yeah, I, I think that for me, it's kind of using those times that we have or like reaching out to a friend and like getting a game on TTS, like, hey, you played this army. Can you can I can I play it against you and you can maybe help teach me how to play it? Um, so, yeah, 
I think identifying uh, like which army to pivot to, it's just kind of like going through a list of like what you already have like uh, a skill set in. And then if none of those are working out for you, um, reaching out to friends of yours that specialize in factions that you're interested in and putting them on the table and seeing if that meshes with how you like to play the game. And then you might end up finding a new army that you love and now you have another army under your belt. So that's, that's just kind of been my experience. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would encourage people in the general populace to color that with a couple of questions up front. Um, first off, like what is your realistic hobby timeline and what are you trying to do with this? Like, if your thought is, oh man, I'm getting my butt kicked by my buddy uh, at the at the at the RTT that I go to every month, like my next RTT is is in three weeks, and then I'll go to another one seven weeks after that, right? Like, cool. Can you like before you you jump ship and start something massive, make sure that you have an a realistic timeline for when you're going to be able to actually have that on the table. And keep in mind the nerf cycle if you're going to make a big pivot, especially if you interact with this hobby in a way that is very expensive. Yeah. Um, it can be really easy to... I've seen a lot of people actually online that do this who are always trying to chase the top meta thing and never seem to go to a tournament with it because it's never ready in time. Yeah. And they just if sort you... of accumulate these piles of models that yeah. aren't... Ta- like. Yeah, if you're someone that takes a lot of time to hobby, this is probably not like a viable strategy for you. Um, the thing I'll say though is, I guess like, if the armies that you're playing you're not enjoying at the time, um, and there's an army out there that does look interesting, provided it's not like the top top of the meta, because like you said, that's probably liable to get nerfed in the next three to six months. Um, if there's an army out there that looks interesting, its play style is probably not going to change too much over the course of the edition. Obviously, if it hasn't had a codex yet, yes, it'll have like new things open up to it. But like for right now, for uh, an army like, I guess like a, maybe a few months ago, if you were interested in sisters, like I mean, I guess sisters play play pretty similarly. I know they don't play as similar as they did like last edition, right? With bloody rose, they had a lot more melee units. But like I played against them over the weekend, and I'm like, this feels pretty similar. Like the whole like trading up, you know, trash units, gathering miracle dice, lots of little rat units running around. Yes, the models are a little bit different, right? Like they're running Arco flags now over Repentia. Um, but like that play style, I was like, oh, this is kind of similar to like it feels a little similar to the Sisters of Pass. So like the core of factions is gonna remain, like the core faction identity is gonna remain the same, um, like across editions. Um so getting into a faction that you like really enjoy, if you're really not enjoying some of yours, um, can definitely be like a worthwhile investment. Um, but yeah, chasing the meta if your hobby turnaround time is like pretty slow, or if you don't have like a huge budget, um, probably not worth it. We're a little spoiled because like we can literally like borrow someone's army if we're like, dang, I want to play that at a GT next week. And it's like, dude, I have it painted. I'm not playing it. Here you go. Right? Don't have to buy an army. So yeah. It definitely comes from a perspective of where we're able to acquire armies very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, the, the bar hammer is a big thing. And also, 
Yeah. <laughs> in, a, in addition to the bar, I think it's also worth mentioning TTS at this point. If you interact with this hobby largely through TTS, like, go nuts, dude. Like, um, please, please do that. And I think that uh, that brings us pretty naturally into the next thing, which is like, so you've made this decision. You're like, all right, great. I'm tired of what I'm playing right now. It doesn't do the thing that I want it to do. I found something else that does the thing that I want to do better. Um, what's next? Like, how how are you going to make this transition happen? What kind of games are you going to seek out? What kind of reps are you going to expect? Um, like, let's, let, you know, I decided that I want to go to a GT in a month with a totally different army than anything I've ever played before. I figured out my model situation. What's next, right? How do you, how do you actually make this transition to be playing at a tournament level? Um, in a reasonable kind of turnaround, what are what's how are we going to do that? I think um, if you have the models at your disposal and you're and you're looking for games, there's a couple of recommendations that I would give to you. The first is that you should not be picky or particular with what reps you're willing to get. One of the biggest mistakes I see people make all the time is, okay, I'm trying a new army, I'm pivoting to a new thing, I'm trying to experiment a little bit, I'm learning something new, it's going to be fresh for me and I'm going to make mistakes. All right, I need a rep into Necrons, I need a rep into Death Guard, I need a rep into Custodes, and I need a rep into Guard. If you're playing against a very good player, playing one of the best armies in the game, and you're learning something new, you are going to get discouraged by the results of that game. I'm, I'm sorry, it's just going to happen. Don't do that. Just play against... You know, people at your local store that are looking for a game, your regular practice partner playing their favorite army that's maybe in the middle of the pack in terms of the tier list. Just play games, and if you happen to play against the top dogs in the army, you can uh, top dogs in the meta, then you can learn stuff from that game. But if you only seek out the best of the best for your practice when you're learning something new, you're A, going to have bad practice, and B, you're going to be disappointed and frustrated with the results. So don't do that. Um, the other thing is um, don't get stuck. And I mean, this kind of doubles down on the just get reps thing that I was just mentioning. Don't get stuck in the um, the whirlwind that is, you know, I have a, a core list structure and now I'm just figuring out how to play around the last 50 to 100 points. Or maybe I'm deciding between one or, or two last, like, packages, chunks to put into my army. I see so many people fixate on like, oh, but this is good into this matchup and this is good into this matchup. That's the kind of things to fixate on once you've like gotten a bunch of games with the army. It's much better to spend that time um, playing games or hobbying your stuff than hyper fixating on how the last 100 points is going to help your Necron matchup. That's just not very, a very productive way to spend that time. So don't don't spend all of your effort and energy on list building because then you're going to have no energy for actually playing the game. Yeah, I think uh, they were talking on the most recent stat check about, uh, I think it was Skari had this rule where he, when he wants to learn something new, he picks up an army and his rep count is 20 before he changes a point of it. Says, hey, other people are succeeding well. This seems like the basic archetype. Great. Play it 20 times. Which admittedly for most people is not realistic. That, that's probably more games than most people are going to play like in yeah. a six month period. Most um, people might get like four games in before their GT. You know? Yeah. But whatever that is realistic to you, that is the thing. Reps count a lot more than list does. We definitely get fixated in this community a lot on, man, 
how did how how the last 100 to 200 points of my army are going to, to alter things and once you've been playing an army for a really long time absolutely make those kinds of decisions but if you're pivoting that is not what is going to make the difference here right your familiarity with the tools that you have access to is so much more important than them being the absolute best of the best tools which i get it it's antithetical you're like i'm pivoting armies because i want to play something strong shouldn't i want to play the strongest thing yes and the strongest thing is the thing that you know oh, oh, how, to, how, to, how to wield right you got to you got to you got to get uh, to put your put your reps in um, if you want the army to to be able to perform, um, yeah, kind of on Lucas's thing too about like don't be picky about the reps that you get. Just like play people who are willing to play, um, play you. Um, I think too another one is like just play missions. I see a lot of this in like practice games where someone's like, let's make a neutral mission so I get the best practice. Like, sure, maybe don't play something like you know, servo skulls, right? If you know what your like missions are going to be played at your local GT before it comes up, that's fantastic. Roll a dice, pick one of the ones from there. Um, but like, don't be like, oh, I don't think that this mission's super great for me to practice because it's a little unfavored into your army. Just put it on the table and just like push models around and roll dice. You know, um, you're gonna like. Here's the realistic thing at a GT, right? Like, you're gonna get the bad matchup on the bad mission for it. So like, kind of learning how to dig yourself out of that pressure situation in a practice game. It's fantastic. So just getting those, getting the familiarity of like how your army plays on different missions and different deployments, how it moves around on different terrain maps. That's fantastic. Uh, if you play on the same take and hold, uh, like layout four, uh, crucible battle every time, you're not going to know how to play search and destroy layout one, you know, <laughs> uh, supply drop, right? You are going to have so, more fun though. It, sure. <laughs> Until you get to the tournament. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that advice goes for everyone. Um, it is really easy to do all of your practice on the most bog standard stuff possible. Stop it. Play, play, play the stuff. It's going to suck, but you're going to have to do it at the event. So do it now. Yeah, I find those are often the hardest games where you're like, oh, this is a weird mission. I don't play that much. And I kind of forgot like the flow of the mission, like the tempo of it. And then you like, yeah, by five and you're like, well, shoot. <laughs> people people say that like in practice, like, oh, this isn't representative, so I don't want to play it. And then they lose at the tournament. They're like, oh man, that was a crazy mission. Like, that's not real. It's like, no, what is then? Like, if, if you're not going to WTC, like, I don't know what you think is real if you're not doing well in the tournament. Like, what what is this higher aspiration platonic ideal of Warhammer that you're aspiring to? Numbers don't lie at the end of the day. You got to, you got to, if you want to put up results, you got to do it at tournaments. I think our game um, at Atomic City was a great example of that, Nick, where we were playing on the ritual sweeping engagement and neither of us yeah. really had played the ritual in months. And so we were just kind of like staring at each other being like, what's happening? What's happening? Yeah, we're both What's like, happening? And we asked us by that question like three turns in a row and then all of a sudden hell broke loose for the last two turns and then I won by one point. <laughs> it's like, yeah. all right, awesome, dude. There was definitely a lot of both of us going like, hmm, this model should be here to spawn this objective. And instead it's 20 inches that direction. <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> like, yeah, because we don't play the ritual, you know? Yeah. These are also skill sets that span armies. If you play a lot of different stuff, one of the best things you can do to get better at all of them is practice missions that you don't practice. Like, 
Because, yeah, positioning on the ritual, the tempo on vital ground, which is totally different because there's very different objectives. Um, the tempo on priorities, like these are all things that you can practice that don't require you be playing the same thing you're going to play at the event to get benefit out of it. Sweet. Okay. Um, let's uh, move on to sort of, sort of the, the last big point that I want to hit here. Going back to some anecdotes here. What do you think was a pivot that you made in the past that was like fundamentally effective and what made that work really well? Um, I'm honing in on, uh, um, yeah, where, 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 where has this gone well for you? And then in a minute, we'll talk about where it may not have gone on quite as well. But uh, what do you, what do you, what do you, what is the pivot that you're, that you're pleased that you made and what, what worked about it, do you think? I can start. I mean, I think finally, like, like playing, what was it? I played Necrons for like the beginning of ninth and it definitely hit a point where it's like, okay, they have been out power scaled by like all of the new codexes that have come out. Like they've been out for a year, a year and a half and there's not as strong anymore. And so it was one of those things where it's like, I was consistently going three, two at tournaments and I'm like, how do I get better? And like, everyone was like, you probably just need to play something more powerful. Like you're, you're sweating playing games to the clock every game, betting games on nine inch rollable charges and coming up short. And they're like, you've kind of hit like the point where you've probably learned the best you can, unless you're like really, really willing to grind. And if you put that level of effort into a more powerful army, like you're going to see better results. And so I immediately made the swap to orcs Lucas. And I found that speed wall build and like the rest is history. I was just slamming tournaments after that, like consistently going four one threatening to win like most of the tournaments I went to. And so like that kind of like mentality too, like as soon as that army got like deleted off the face of the earth, it was like, okay, what's next? Um, and Necrons got buffed after that, right? And so it was like, cool, perfect time to pivot back to an army that I like, get some skills with that. I built a cool list. I learned how to play them well. Unfortunately, still not super great because we all know that was the uh, the year of what the, the Tau, Custodes, Quinns, Nids release of holy hell, this is insane. And so as soon as Quinns came out, I was like, oh, cool, Quinns army for 200 bucks. Let's go, baby. We're back, you know. Um, so like the pivoting that year was, at least for me, super helpful because it kind of just made me learn what it's like to play with a powerful army, what it's like to play Warhammer without having to stress over every game and every decision and making one small mistake and just like, oh my God, my whole like house of cards has crumbled. Like when you can play armies that like are give you a little bit more wiggle room, um, especially when you're like a newer player, um, it, it helps you put up results better, you know? Once you're a little more, um, once you're a little more experienced, you can definitely play those like higher skill armies that are less forgiving to mistakes without making as many mistakes, and you will not be as upset with yourself. So for me, that was a pivot that, like, just in general, pivoting to powerful armies, right? Speedwall and Quins um, was super successful, and even that like pivot to Crons in the middle was super successful because what got really good right after Quins, the Nephilim patch with Necrons, and that like stint of playing Necrons when they got their buffs gave me the skills that I needed to, you know, pivot back to them in the summer and win my first GTs ever, actually. So um, I think that that year was a, a definitely a year of pivots that I was super happy with and super proud of. So yeah, worked out well for me. I'll think about one that worked out poorly for me as you guys talk about your stuff.
I think I can kind of encapsulate the both a pivot that went well and a pivot that went poorly over the summer of this last year. Um, when 10th edition first came out and around that same time, I was selected to be a starter for Team USA for the 2023 WTC. Um, that was a incredibly challenging couple of months for me as I like frantically battled imposter syndrome uh, and also the need to do well at the uh, one of the things I care about most. And um, so trying to reconcile all of those things at the same time was really challenging. And uh, it was also in a meta, like I, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, that I'm, I'm kind of bad at figuring out things on the fly uh, or figuring out things quickly and very stuck in my ways. So I kind of power up as metas develop and I find a niche that I feel really comfortable in and I'm really, you know, jives with the way I like playing the game. So I'm, I, I kind of need lots of time to develop and figure out matchups and that's kind of when I, when I find my most success. And so simultaneously needing to battle you know, we need to figure out the 10th edition meta in the next three weeks. And also you have no idea if any of your skills are going to translate to the new edition was insanely stressful for me. Um, and this was kind of, uh, I've kind of had a little bit of a mentality shift um, when, uh, on this when it comes to teams is uh, it's not always best to just do what's best for the team. Because, uh, you know, as I was really figuring out uh, you know, what I wanted to play, people were like, oh, you you seem open to anything. Why don't you play Imperial Knights? Turns out Imperial Knights were not at all, you know, synergistic with the way I like playing the game. They didn't really have any board control. They didn't really exert any pressure over of what they, over what the opponent was doing. Same thing with Necrons. They just kind of like stumbled around and were tough. Awesome. Cool. Um, that's not, that's not the way I like playing the game. That's not, doesn't lead into my strengths as a player. Um, so playing those for like several months over the summer and steadily realizing that it was not going to work, um, was definitely some of the worst pivots that I've done in, over my 40 K career. Um, just kind of stumbling into scenarios that I didn't belong in and then realizing that time was getting shorter and shorter over time. And then luckily my hero, Sean Naden calls me up one day in the old basement and says, Hey, I've got this cool orc idea that you jumped on immediately because because I can tell that you are hating uh, you know playing the things that you're playing right now. Why don't you play orcs for WTC and I'll figure out something else because I've got you know decades of experience doing this shit. And I said, sounds good to me, Chief, and uh, I jumped into that whole hog. So that was one of the best pivots of my 40k career. Um, thanks to Sean, I uh, you know found found a list that. Or not found. I ended up piloting a list that was incredibly effective at what it was trying to do, and enabled me because he called me up with a sufficient time. I had several weeks of, you know, let's play game after game after game every single week, and get me up to that level that I know I can be at, where I've I've repped the the games into the matchups that I know I'm going to play. So now I have experience and I know what's going to happen there, and I'll be more prepared than my opponent will be. So that was kind of the duality of this is a terrible pivot. This is going horribly. The world is ending. Um, oh, wait, we figured out something. And now it's going to be a success. Do you have anything to add, Tyler? I mean, I've, I've, got, I've got my own answers. But if you got something, go for it. No, go ahead. Yeah, for sure. I think that the yeah that was 
that was a pretty crazy saga to watch unfold in real time. I remember um, that uh, that phone call that you took on the from I think it was from Sean and John on the when we were driving down to day yeah, to two of that little of uh, somehow slaughter. slam yeah slot whatever it was yeah to the, to oh, the, was this the tournament you had to play Necron the Mall GT. Yes. Yeah, the mall, this, was, yeah, the, this was day day two after I'd went like one and two on day one and John called me and was like, dude, have you ever thought about custodies? And I'm like, I'm, you're not going to break me, Satan. I'm not going to play this infernal army. If you play custodies, <laughs> muting myself. <laughs> but yeah, so I, like, that was absolutely hilarious. It was like, oh man, you know, what, what, like, what do we get this guy on? It was a crazy time. Um, but yeah, to, I think that was a really good example of how just playing what's good does not work for everyone all the time. Um, and there are certainly times when, uh, when what's, what's good is so far above and beyond the rest, but like Necrons and Imperial Knights, two of the strongest armies in release 10th edition, like they did very well. Knights, not phenomenal in the, uh, in the team's environment, but they, they kicked ass in singles and it just didn't work. Um, and it was very exciting to see you transition to something that fit into your uh, into your wheelhouse a little bit better. Uh, it very fortunate that it happened to be orcs. I think that, you know you already own and love, but um, yeah, it was neat to see those back to back. Great, great example. Um, for me, also, I think the best pivot that I've made historically, not counting like switching from tau to mids at like the age of fourteen, um, was. Uh, was probably um, at the at the tail end of um, of ninth edition when I was playing uh, Behemoth Forces of the Hive Minds, um, playing GSC nonsense with these uh, zero up save Tyrant Guard bricks that I love so much. Where is these? Right, I can't even reach them from here. Oh, I miss these guys, dude. Oh, they were so cool. I love Tyrant Guard. They're so sick. Um, was having a ton of fun. Uh, big braining people into winning games that I had no right to win, um, getting like inches away from winning several tournaments. It was a great time. It was a really fun list that I enjoyed playing a lot. Uh, and Anthony basically picked up the phone and was like, hey, Tyler, it forces the stupid faction. Go play Gene Steeler Colts. That's what the, the team needs. We need GSC coverage. And I was like, yes, sir. Like, fine, fair enough. Um, and I went out and I hard pivoted to Mono GSC to learn the Lathuris build. Uh, on the tail end of um, of eighth edition, and man, that like entire third act of ninth edition for me was absolutely bonkers. That army fit what I want like to do as a player so much better than anything else I had ever played up until that point. And I feel like that was where I locked in on oh, here are the elements that I enjoy in playing Warhammer that I would just not have understood if I hadn't made that swap. Um, and like transitioning from that into Russell Claw and like and like the rest of my 40k trajectory follows pretty naturally. But like that was the activation energy to get me out of the rut that I was in at that point and into performing well. And I feel like I'm right now at exactly the same point of, hey, the thing that you're doing doesn't work anymore. Try something else. So we'll see if this pivot to Necrons can can mirror how that, that pivot to GSC worked. But that was like a big catalyst moment, massive props to, to Anthony for, for identifying that. Um, we'll, uh, we'll see how the next one goes. Dude, I got my worst pivot. At least I was trying to think, you know, mm -hmm. um, especially when it's a little relevant. Um, I was pretty happy with all the pivots I made in ninth ed. I feel like I got pretty lucky just like hitting 
like banger after banger. Um, Cause like, what was that? after Kranz, I pivoted to Votan won a major with that and then pivoted to iron hands for the team. And we won that team tournament. So that was like all sick. Um, so yeah, that was great. And then 10th, it came out and I'm like, Oh God, what am I going to play? I played Necrons and I'm like, this is the most boring army I've ever played. You march around and go, Oh, I don't die. And I was like, okay, well, there's like definitely value in this. Like it was, it was a strong army. Um, but I, God, I missed my score packs. Um, for those that don't know, I played like, gosh, 18 score packs with the King for a long time. And that was probably my favorite I've ever played. Cause you just walk up to someone and you bash the hell out of them with like full wound rerolls, you know, like high AP, high damage. And I was playing a practice game with Krons into Custodes and Anthony like beat me over the head with Custodes, the meat mountain list. And I'm like, Oh my God, dude, this is just Scorpex version two. This is so cool. And so I was like, I got to play this army. Cause like that was, you know, at the start of 10th, when we're like melee is dead. Melee doesn't exist. Yada, yada. And I'm like, I want to play melee. I want to run at people and bash them with spears. This sounds great. And so I played custodies at Tacoma and that went well for me. I went what seven and one there. Um, almost made top cut and lost by like, it was like a coin flip to win the game to make top cut. Uh, so that was, you know, I was happy with that. Not having a lot of practice reps with them. Um, but I think that the decision to bring them to Warmasters was probably the worst pivot I made. Um, I, the team had kind of written off Necrons because in testing, uh, we were figuring out good counters to Necrons. Um, but I was kind of the Necron punching bag for the team because I was like one of the few people who actually like played them. Um, so basically all my practice reps on WTC terrain were with Necrons and I had like zero practice reps with Custodes. Um, part of it was like, I didn't want to bring transport and not Necrons are famously difficult to transport because they're, Vehicles are all shaped like giant spines and spikes and weird proportions that are hard to fit in cases. Um, so I didn't really want to transport that, especially for our first international trip, whereas custodies can fit in a shoebox. Um, but the hard part was as soon as I got there, I'm like, I don't have like the practice reps like necessary to like actually do well at this tournament, um, which kind of like turned my enjoyment of that tournament down quite a bit, um, which is like, it's a cool tournament. So for me, I was like, this is a little unfortunate. I probably should have just stuck with what I knew, even if it was a little boring, because like I have the practice and I could have performed a little bit better, which made it, might have made the tournament overall more enjoyable. Your worst so. pivot was playing against Imperial Knights three times at the tournament? Well, yeah, that's not my decision. <laughs> should I issue a formal complaint to the WTC judges? Well, I issued a formal complaint to GW and that army got deleted, so there we go, dude. Easy dub. Sweet. Alrighty. Well, I think we have uh, pretty well roundedly uh, discussed Astara our main topics. Is there anything else you guys wanted to cover on pivots before I do some plugs and move toward listener questions? Just because you can pivot doesn't mean you should. If you're enjoying something mm -hmm. and other people around you aren't enjoying it, or like you know you're you're playing the strong thing and everyone's upset at you for playing the strong thing, like you've made that conscious decision. Just like own up to it and keep keep playing it. Don't let other people's thoughts about your army tell you what to play. Yeah. I mean, it depends on like the like place you play in, right? Like if you're playing in your local crusade league and I don't know, like you guys have agreed not to play armies above a certain power level, maybe chill out. But like, you know, <laughs> if your goal is to like get better and like win tournaments, like better for them to practice against you in a controlled environment than to face it like at a tournament and just get sad and lose. Like, 
that's the thing is you guys can play practice games. You can teach them how to like play into the army. So I definitely like if, if yeah, you can definitely make it a better experience for them than them ran, running into it in the wild. Unless you're playing custodians, then go play exploding kittens instead of Warhammer. <laughs> Fair enough, dude. <laughs> Dead serious, by yeah, the way. Absolutely. That's a, uh, it's an interesting spot here. where like, it's really hard to give generic advice to a populace because different people are going to hear different things about that. Like what I needed to hear a couple weeks ago, or just generally is listen to other people's opinions more like the opposite of what Lucas is saying there. I am very, this is the thing that I'm doing and it's going to work. And at a certain point you need to be like, Oh, everyone else can see what's going wrong other than you. You need a fucking mirror, pay attention. But I could definitely see in, in Lucas's perspective on the other side where there are plenty of people who are in the other position of, yeah, I don't know what I want to do. Everyone says this and the other thing is like, yeah, listen to yourself at some point. Kind of on that too. I guess, I guess listen to yourself. I'm about to give different advice. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at least talking about pivoting, we've given them all this advice of like, go find the next army you're interested in, right? Like go find the next army that fits your play style. Sometimes that can be really hard to identify as a player. Uh, at least, like, I have a really hard time identifying, like, what my strengths are as a player, or, like, what my play style is. Like, I feel like I have a general vibe. And, like, as soon as I push the models around the table, I'm like, oh, this makes my brain happy. I like this army, right? But I have, like, a really hard time identifying what exactly I should, like, switch to sometimes. And that's when I turn to, like, you guys and our wider community, like, local friend group. Um, like, hey, what, like, what do you guys think I'm good at? Like, what do you guys think I'd like? You know, like that sort of thing. And you guys definitely helped me hone in on that and help me kind of put my thoughts and feelings into words or like into a concrete example. Um, so like, I think that can be really useful too, if you're struggling, like if you're, you know, very indecisive or can't figure out, like you can't identify what it is you enjoy about Warhammer, like turn to your friends and, you know, they can, they can, you know, sometimes offer you a good perspective on that. That was awesome. Yeah. Unless they tell you to play Cassidy's, right. then you can throw you know, them off a bridge. <laughs> um, if you're a Custodes player and you feel offended that we trash talk that army so much, Bomber, stop listening dude. to the show. Yeah, try try playing a real army. Um, try playing a real game, like exploding kids. Throw that off the off the balcony. <laughs> but um, anywho. Uh, for those of y'all who may have forgotten, you're currently listening to Take All Comers on the Stat Check Network. Uh, if you're enjoying the show, uh, there's a couple of different and obvious ways you can support us. First and foremost, interact on your platform of choice. Likes, reviews, subscriptions. They are the most, most important thing. Comments. Love that. Um, if you want to keep the conversation going, you can head over to our Patreon, which is hopefully linked in the description of whatever you're watching. And if not, it's patreon.com slash stat check. Maybe there's a dash. You're a smart person on the internet. You can figure it out. Uh, there you can subscribe for $5 a month to join us in the Discord, um, which is currently undergoing um, some uh, reorganizational maneuvers as it has become a massive community. We have over, I think I got notified when I added everyone that there are over 500 people in this Discord or some ludicrously large number like that. Like there's a lot going on. Um, so you might want to be there. There's people playing every single faction. If you're looking to pivot, uh, there's people who will tell you how to play the thing you're in, you're leaving and maybe you're in the wrong. There's people who will tell you how to play the thing that you're moving to in the right. We get, uh, the vibe check CTS league is going on in there. Um, and it's just, it's the best, it's the most happening place in the 40 K world online. It, it just is. If you play competitive, 
Um, in addition to that, you should definitely be checking out some of our sponsors for nonsense. Uh, if you're in need of games and you're anywhere near Eastern Canada, uh, Red Dragon has fantastic deals. They have everything in stock somehow. I don't know how it works. Um, and uh, I believe that there's a, there, I don't know if there's a statue specific discount for that one. I need to listen to NS do these more often so that I can quote them correctly. Um, we have partnerships with Wayland yutani They make WTC terrain you can check out. Uh, and with, oh man, why do I forget the guy's name? Who's Who does the Etsy stuff? Oh, there's a link in the description. Check out, check out oh, the, some of the stat check specific widgets or something. Something like I'm that. Thinking of a different thing. Um, I don't know. I buy a bunch of shit on Etsy. Yeah, they're great. It's uh, check out, out some of the the, the, the sponsors there. Um, if you would like to have uh, your questions answered, as we move into the listener question section, um, the easiest way to do that, guaranteed, is in the uh, in the the thread on the Discord. We're going to go through those in a minute here. But super chats on YouTube also all get answered. And if you leave a really good comment on YouTube, maybe we'll answer it anyway. We are live currently. We go live if every Saturday. We're not at a tournament at ten o'clock in the morning Pacific Standard Time. Um, so if you want to join the live show, that's where and when it's happening. Those are the plugs. Uh, we're going to move on into some listener questions now, starting in the Discord. Uh, show questions. Great. Uh, that one guy, John, asks, for the old pure GSC list, how have you been positioning or using the Patriarch? I find his squad gets shot down quickly and has yet to actually make contact or battle shock anything over three games. Ingress, ingress, ingress. That unit never starts on the table. Ingress that shit. Um, they are your like number one infiltrator removing thing right now. Um, and they're also uh, a nonsense and on demand with the Patriarch Arc's Battleshock mechanic out of Deep Strike. Ingress that unit. That's how you get value out of them. Don't start them on the table. I mean, if you only have the one squad of them, start them on the table, spread them out as wide as possible to take up maximal infiltrating area, and then redeploy them into Deep Strike where they can ingress. Um, that's the moral story on that. Uh, Brent, and then better known as McCorp, asked, uh, what are you gents taking to Cascade Clash? And how is it going to handle the 30 custodians being shoved into the middle that seems to dominate the Pacific Northwest every time it gets good? Um, Lucas, what are you taking to Cascade? And how are you going to beat the crap out of custodians? Uncertain. Um, it's either going to be Chaos Knights or Death Guard. Um, unfortunately, lists are due in like two days. So I am going to make that decision based off of my one Death Guard practice game today. Um, nice. And what a practice game that was. Was? What the fuck? Are you living in the future? <laughs> no. It, oh, that near today. I'm talking about your one practice game you played at like 1 a.m., dude. Oh, yeah. That was definitely one of the games of all time. That was a um, very funny game. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Riddick is referencing a 1 a.m. Beach Hammer game I played into uh, our buddy Alex's um, Thousand Sons. So that was definitely funny. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm basically just going to decide tomorrow how I'm feeling. I'm leaning toward Chaos Knights just because it's an army I know better, and I tend to get frustrated when I pivot to something last minute and then don't know how to play it correctly. That's like a frustrating experience for me, and I really don't want to drive five hours, play a bunch of frustrating games, drive five hours back, and then go into a fucking full work week. That sounds miserable. Um, I'd rather just play something that I know will do well and that I'll enjoy. So I'll probably especially just play with, Especially with Cascade being six rounds and big prize money on the line. like Yeah, I have a much better shot at doing well and placing if I'm playing CK than if I'm playing an army I've played twice. 
So yeah. um, might leave the Death Guard for the near future. I've got a question for all the for all the hog crankers out there, dude. Mm-hmm. Is the Lancer going to see the board? <laughs> Next question. <laughs> all right, sweet. And then uh, Nick and myself are both bringing the Crons. Um, we're repping like functionally the same list. Um, we've got a couple of like the last like 20 points basically were, we're not entirely really hundred percent on what to do with yet. We might be point for point the same. It might be a little bit different. Um, but yeah, different takes on, uh, on Andrew Gagne's Pyra list. He is playing in, uh, in Poland right now as we speak, um, which is a monolith double warrior, uh, Necron list. It is very sexy. Um, I don't think anyone's going to listen to this and then play him at Pyra. So I don't think we're that worried about talking about how it functions, but like you'll get tons of details about this list and lots of games played with it um, after Cascade. So, so look forward to that. Yep. Uh, but yeah, that's what we're I taking. I am registered as Adeptus Astra Telepathica, but I, I probably will be bringing that crown. So. I think, you, I mean, it's a hard choice. You should consider it. Cool. Um, sweet. Um, uh, Derek asks, did you guys figure out anything cool or neat with your beach hammer session last weekend? What were, what were some of the fun takeaways there? Uh, having, having played a bunch of games, what'd you figure out about town? Nick? Yeah, I was going to ask. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. Let me talk about how dude. Um, so tower is certainly one of those armies where you hear a town player complaining and you're like, bro, shut the hell up. You have killed me over the past like six years. I hate your army. Tau are definitely in a very different spot this edition than in previous editions. Like I definitely would call them in like seventh, eighth, and ninth, like quite oppressive, at least at some points. Seventh kind of exists in the pre-competitive Warhammer land. It's not super modern Warhammer, so I'm not gonna really talk about that. They just tabled you in like two turns. Cool. Eighth, right? They had the drone wall. You could never kill their riptides. Turns out when three big gun gets to shoot for five turns, you lose. Um and then Bro, that was eighth edition. It, that was six turns. Oh my god. Jesus <laughs> right. Well, didn't you also roll and see if the game went on? Or no, was that not a that was seventh edition? Eighth edition, they were like, it's six okay. turns, oh, leave god. it that way. All right, yeah, six rounds. So I mean by round six, you're dead. But yeah, that game was just like, oh my god, I have to kill these riptides and they can't. So and then in ninth, right, the Tau Codex came out and just monkeyed you off the table in like two turns. Um, which was not a fun experience either. Um just and then they had the bomber list as well, which like went first and like bombed the hell out of you. So Tau have a very bad reputation for sure. And so I was going into the Tau rep expecting them to be like very strong shoots gun army, right? And right now the current detachment is Kalyon, which is like doesn't really activate till round three onwards. Um, and so I played Tau like I would play Votan, which is kind of like go out early, peek out, get some shots. And oh my god, do they have a can't kill car problem, dude? Most of like like the list right now that I've hearing people talk about is like breachers and devilfish and like triple riptide and like tetras to guide. Nothing in that army is like above strength eight except for like your once per game seeker missiles on your devilfish, um, which hit on fours. Yes, you can guide them, which I'll get to that in a second. Um, but yeah, you're certainly, I was very whelmed when I played against sisters, walked two riptides out, couldn't kill a rhino. And then one of my riptides died to a castigator. And I'm like, this is, this is silly, dude. Like what is happening? 
Um, and so I definitely adjusted in my other games and tried to play more, not expose as much, play carefully early, and then round three onwards, I'm like, let's go, double exploding sixes, it's crazy. And then you don't roll any sixes, and you're like, oh my god, why did I wait three rounds for this? Um, but yeah, the <laughs> the guide mechanic, um, certainly... Lucas and I were confused the first time we played it because there was a little bit of uh, confusion over how it worked at the beginning of the edition. So like how to guide a, a Tau unit is basically you pick a unit to shoot with, you pick a unit that can see the unit that the first unit shooting at, and then the unit looking at it slaps the guy who's shooting on the ass and gives him plus one ballistic skill, provided he is shooting that unit with all of his guns. Any guns shooting at different targets get minus one ballistic skill. So in order to be a spotter or a guider or whatever, I don't know the correct term, um, you have to be eligible to shoot, right? And you can't be battle-shocked. Um, but they're, I think, under eligible, like, under eligible to shoot, it just says can't have fallen back, can't have advanced, like in the core rules. And so early on in the edition, people were like, doesn't say can't have shot. So even though I've shot, I'm still eligible to shoot. So I get to guide for me. And I know WTC was like, that's raw. You get to play it that way. And in one of the designers commentaries in like September, they said, yeah, bozos, if you shot, you're not eligible to shoot. Like, come on. And so the whole like chaining down the line of Tau thing doesn't work anymore, which I've certainly had played against me at tournaments before because that was legal at one point. I don't know about in the fall. I don't know. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of Tau players are either really good or cheaters. So like that's basically Tau in my experience. Um, so if you've done it to me, you're probably really good at doing it and just like waved your hands and I'm like, cool, man, you get plus one to hit wherever you want or you cheated. So, but I, all, all the Tau players up here are very good and are not cheaters. So that's great. Um, <laughs> so nice. yeah, the, the mechanic there would taking a, take a little, hook a little bit to get used to because it's like you have to guide so every every pair you have to accept that one of the pairs isn't getting plus one to hit and so like a lot of your devil fish are usually guiding for guys which means they can't be guided as well oh that's the other thing when you guide for someone you get a condition that's like i was a spotter so i can't be guided now so like if you want your seeker missiles which are your anti-tank to hit on threes you can't use them to guide your other things that you want to hit on threes so it's just this like nightmare of like management and for me, what was wild is it's an army that only shoots gun, right? Like that's its that's its strength, that's its bread and butter. Like the crew it currently are in there to just stand in front of people and move block and get objectives. They don't do any melee damage. A big thing in shoots gun that you'll like when you when you play a gun shooting army, you kind of learn to like overcommit a little bit in case you like roll poorly and like you come up short killing the unit by like one or two wounds. It's better to just have another gun there ready to kill it because now they're dead, they're across the board from you. Cool, you didn't kill that other unit, that's fine. You have like a turn before it gets to you. Um, and like splitting shots is a big thing too because sometimes you unload a whole unit into something, it lives on one wound and you're like, okay, well now my next thing is gonna shoot. It's gonna shoot its big guns over there and shoot its little gun over there. Tau get actively punished for doing that because you get minus one ballistic skill shooting your little gun here. Um, so for me, I'm like, it is wild that the army whose only phase they're activated in gets super punished for doing the thing that other shoots gun armies do. So it was very strange. I'm like, this is supposed to be a specialized shooting army, but I feel weaker than like Votan. I feel weaker than Eldar, right? Who are like a mixed arms army, heavy on shooting. 
So I think there's a little bit of a, I don't know. Um, I definitely like that Tau aren't the alpha strike you off the board army anymore. Um, that was certainly more interesting mm-hmm. that they play this more careful cat and mouse game. Um, but it's definitely one of those things where now I kind of agree with Tau players' complaints of the index so far. And I'm very excited the Codex is around the corner, um, especially with bringing in crew because like that, yeah. like if I had to play Votan without Zerkers or without Hearthguard, like I just get run over. So having some sort mm-hmm. of counterpunch or way to slow your opponent down is like invaluable in playing a shooting army. Um, so that was basically a long rant to say that the guide mechanic makes me want to like, I don't know, brain myself. So yeah. Nice. It's, it's a cool mechanic. It's just super punishing. It's, um, it's very thematic and cool. I can also now very much see what Tau players were complaining about that are not complaining about, but when everyone looked at those points changes to Tau in September and were like, they have so much stuff now. It's like, yeah, because it's very awkward to make that stuff work and you really only can make it work starting on turn three. So like it is a it is a clunky army and I see what they were getting at yeah. and like is it cringe to be tabled by a gun army if you have the wrong defensive profiles? Yeah. But is the army awkward to wield? Also, yeah. So yeah. I can definitely I can see I that. think they did a really good job with the design space to be like, hey, yeah, you're a shoots gun army and you do all this like the hoops are really interesting and make you make difficult decisions. Yes. The problem exactly. is they're one of the factions that got the memo about this being the less lethal edition, and yeah. most and armies yeah. didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that if they left that, and the, the problem is no amount of points changes fixes that, right? You cannot point and change your way out of this army can't kill a box, right? At a certain point, they become a flood the table army, which is silly, right? What they need is a little bit of stat inflation. I hate to say it, but like, if those things just shot a little bit harder, this army would be really, really cool um, and feel incredible when you were playing it perfectly and feel gross when you were playing it poorly. That's yep. optimal. But yeah, we're just missing the mark a little bit. I do love how they're like the teamwork together strong. Yeah. Like that, like that theme felt cool. It just sucked when you mm-hmm. unloaded and you're like, ah, zero rhinos killed. GG, dude. <laughs> yeah, I, I also really like the, the how like core concept of marker lights being like, hey, you're not spending points on counterpunch, so instead spend points on this other kind of support unit so that the army is not just copy-paste the gun data sheet over and over and over again. Yes, exactly. Like, it forces them to have... It's, it's like Tetra's tower. sole purpose being like a cranked guide unit yeah. is cool, or Pathfinder's. Tower, imagine imagine how terrible they would be if Tetras didn't exist. Like, Tetra buff is oh, insane, but my the army God. would be dog shit if Tetras didn't exist. Yeah. I complained about Tetras. Like, from the excuse the thing, like, we talk all the time about, like, playing another army helps you learn their strengths and weaknesses a lot. From the outside perspective, you look at a Tetra and you're like, oh my God, that's ridiculous. Why is that thing so hard to kill? Why is it 80 points? Why does it never battle shock? Why does it give you Chapter Master ignores cover? And then you play Tau, and you're like, oh my god, I need to protect these three babies with my life, because if they die, I lose the game. It's like, And people that don't run three, I'm like, what are you doing? I don't know. There's probably definitely like some Tau lists out there that are like, just flood the board with bodies. I don't really care about the guide mechanic, and that's true. But like, if I didn't have Tetris, dude, oh my lord. Like... <laughs> I gotta say, Breachers are probably my favorite battle line unit in the game. I don't know if I'd go yeah. that far, actually. But they were definitely breachers one of the coolest battle line cool. units in the game. Yeah. Yeah. 
They were really it's, fun. It's cool to see a unit that has a lot of models that does damage and that has high OC. Like it does a bunch of things that is really cool and isn't yeah. just like, here's my idiot unit of scoring the screen. Uh, like Space Marines have been doing recently. It's annoying. Another fun thing about Tau is it's kind of like the old Necron Ghost Ark build where late game your boxes just kind of turn into bumper boats. Because like the idea is you've killed your opponent's like punching units by turn three and four, maybe. And then like late game, your riptides are just charging people. And then because like they can fall back and shoot. So that's a super fun thing when someone's like, ah, what's your gun tank gonna do? And you're like, it's gonna run right at you, dude. Um, or Tetras, like Tetras being OC2, uh, like right, you just yeet them at people and they can still guide in melee because they're vehicles. Um, so that's cool. Another thing too, sorry, I, I don't want to like eat up all our time about Tau. But it's like wild to me that like one of their biggest weaknesses is getting tagged. And that's like a super cool counter. Like if your opponent's like, oh my god, this army shoots me, how do I beat them? You touch them. That's a cool weakness. That's what all shoots gun armies should have. Why does Eldar and Votan have a one CP fallback shoot and charge stratagem? Why not Tau? Right? Because here's the thing: Eldar and Votan can buy melee counterpunch to dig themselves out of getting tagged. Tau can't. Like you tag them unless they're like a riptide, they're like or ghost kill, they're like, okay, I die. Like, <laughs> I, I think that's I think that stratagem should go away for Eldar and Botan. I don't think Tau need it. I I agree. Like yeah. that's the thing. It's like um, why do we give it to a faction that has the tools to dig themselves out of getting melee? Another great example is Guard. A guard is an army that yeah. has no ability to dig themselves out once they're tagged and they have no fallback and shoot. Yeah. It's a cool weakness for shooting armies. Why did we give the counter to it to the mixed arms armies? I don't know. So yeah. I mean, I, I will say Riptide's fallback, shoot, and charge, and whatnot, right? They don't get to charge. It's just fallback and shoot. They just fallback and shoot. Okay. Cool. Yeah. But, I mean, that's still... Yeah, that's the battle good. suit support system. Can you buy that for Crisis? You could, you but then can? you wouldn't get a shield generator. Yeah, so that's what I'm can. saying. Is you have yes. access to it, but it's yeah. there's trade-offs, right? Yeah. I, that's where <laughs> that I think is. it's cool, where it's not just a 1CP get-out-of-jail-free card. Exactly. Get-out-of-jail-free cards are fucking cringe. Yeah. I think they should just remove those stratagems across most of the game. I like I like your thing, which is like make yeah. it a you trade up lethality to gain some sort of thing. Yeah, I feel like fallback and shoot used to carry a minus one to hit penalty wherever they put it in like eighth edition. It's like fallback and shoot no, at minus one. one. Was fly fallback and shoot at I, minus I, one? Ultramarines. I'm thinking of ultramarines. Yeah, ultramarines. Their chapter tactic was fallback and shoot at minus one. That made so oh, much sense. I guess Kalyan was. Kalyan was yeah, fallback and shoot at minus thing. one, and you didn't get the sixes. And you don't get your explode. sixes explode. Yeah. yeah. Trade offs. Unfortunately, a lot of Tau players crazy. forgot because they're either really good or they're cheaters. So, yeah. Those are the options. Um, if you're a or bad Tau player, we're not coming for you, just to be clear. Yeah. Winning Tau players are either really good or cheaters. Um, That's the thing is like you don't you don't notice it because they know all their rules, dude. They're all like, yeah, mm -hmm. I've played this army like fifty times and my brain is breaking, dude. Because yeah. if I misposition this crisis squad, I die. Like <laughs> anyway, cool. Oh, Any other big takeaways? But, yeah. Any other big takeaways um, uh, from the beach, Nick Lucas? I mean, I know you got some. Yeah, that was my experience. I played Tau a lot and then I played Hypercrypt a bit, which like mm -hmm. we can talk about Hypercrypt together. Yeah. Lancer bad, dog good. Oh yeah, Lancer bad. Yeah, that was <laughs> not, not bad. Name for the Ireland scrim, dude. It's so cursed. It's so cursed. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, it's not bad, and I think it is better. 
it, kind of counterintuitively, it is better. The Lancer is better the less dense your terrain is. But good God, I mean, the most of the reason I was testing that thing was for WTC terrain, and holy hell, it is hard to move around on those tables. Um, like, just the difference between an oval base and a circle base is insane. Um, and rings be like... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's, there's a reason those kind of units are... Here we go. So here, yeah, th we, we have this, this format for our, our scrimmage games uh, list submissions where we, like, you know, put all our stuff at the top and then we have, like, the, the list name. And so I went in and edited mine to be, for the podcast listeners, try big night, three dogs are better, play for four months, try big night, three dogs are better, play for four months, try big night, et cetera, et cetera. And then in the middle there, I slipped in a little send help. <laughs> It says try big night, three dogs are better play for four months like 30 times. It's absolutely hilarious. Dude, I've um, seen a comment in the chat. Someone's asking, are Votan the new Tau since everyone hates them? Sorry, Nomak1 asks, are Votan the new Tau since everyone hates them? People hate Votan? Um, yeah, dude, I was surprised to learn this. I think people hate Sagittars because they hate yeah. getting scammed by them. That's, they hate when you that point this 100 points, they also, 10 gives up two bring it why does it OC3 have every like if i could make better than a rhino in every way if i could in the game at large i had five tokens and each one of these tokens would change one stat of any one an, an data sheet in the game up or down plus or minus one i'd spend four of them on sagittars true damn what is this unit dude oh my god Anyway, so yeah, the Sagittar I think is what pisses people off. I think, I think when because Sagittars like weren't played at all really in ninth ed, and then tenth mm -hmm. ed rolled around and people were like, "Oh my god, they're good!" People were really excited. They're like, "Oh, cute little matchbox buggy, wee wee!" And then they were like, "Oh my god, why does this thing do everything for a hundred points? And why do you get to run six of them? And then fourteen hundred more points of dwarfs." Um, and the other thing too was as soon as people found the scam cannon, it was like we were talking about this the other day. The cannon is two shots, six is you know D three explosion at twelve three D six. What's the math on that? No one knows. You crank the lever and you're like surprise. Like uh, Tanner and I were playing a game at RTT, and this was the first time I swapped from swapped from missiles to beams, and I was shooting my beams at Mortarian, and four did nothing. Like some hits, some wounds. He saved them all, and he looks at me. He's like, damn man. Maybe the missiles are what's up. These beams ain't it. And the last beam does 15 damage to Mortarian. <laughs> Tanner was like, oh my god, why did I open my mouth? Like, this is ridiculous and I hate this. And those just continue to do that. Um, we were talking about Atomic City and I, you know, same thing. Had a turn where, like, t one Sagittar each killed two dogs out of nowhere. And Lucas was like, this is stupid. So I think that's why people don't like Votan. Other thing, too, is I think... I think a lot of Tau players have swapped to Votan because very similar skill sets. Um, so maybe it's the players, not the live action. I don't know, man. Anyways, I like all the Tau players around here. They're all cool. I haven't met any Tau players that cheat, so I don't know about, or Votan uh, uh, players that cheat, though, so I don't know about that. Um, dude, Votans are too, if you cheat, you get kicked out, dude. That's a that's like an endless. You get cheat, you get put in the puck. Your name book. goes in the book. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you get, you get excised from the clans, dude. All right, sweet. Uh, Lucas, any other Lucas learnings was that that thing was bad. Uh, my learnings is that I'm addicted to Necrons. Um, we'll talk a lot more about them uh, when we do our pirate episode. I'm going to try to 
let that episode be as entertaining as possible because we're going to talk about the same list for 12 games. Um, so I'll, I'll postpone yeah. that over to there. We came with some um, cool things. Pyra episode or a Cascade episode? Or, or Cascade. I, man, I need another cup of coffee. <laughs> I don't know. I saw a picture of Tyler at Pyro. So there's a guy over there with a Bortel jersey. <laughs> kind of crazy you got uh, that right. back in time, dude. Bro, you, uh, I, Taylor Swift, never heard of her. I'm the one who travels across the planet quickly. Um, it occurs to me that probably neither of you have any idea what I'm talking about. All right. Uh, Melidius Mil- Mil- asks, any view on Gene Steelers and GSC? They're good. They're not great. But they're good and they're so cheap. And man, am I not playing that army right now? Um, I don't know why everyone <laughs> only asks me GSC questions, but I did buy a box of pure strength because this model kit is awful. Those are my thoughts. This kit, fucks. Buy it. They look so cool. Love them. Um, gonna get those guys painted someday because I have to paint a Necron army in the next two weeks, but uh, we'll get there eventually. All right, uh, but yeah, the Steelers, Steelers, what's up? Take 10 with the Patriarch, take 10 without. I don't know about the solo fives, people were excited about them. I don't think they do the GSC thing that well. Maybe if you're not playing guard, real armies, anyway. Um, what things in your opponent's list do you consider when making an overall macro strategy for the game? This is our last question, so you can take a minute on it. So yeah, you walk up, a cup, you get your pairings, we're all sitting at lunch, and you see, boom, there's a list. What are the things you're looking for, and how are you building your macro strategy before you get to the table based on that list? Like, What's, what's the first thing you check? Oh, shit, this list has that. That changes everything. I think I, I, think I have a very specific answer to this question in mind. Go for it, then. Does it have indirect fire? Like, am I playing against Guard or Eldar right now, essentially? Like, do I need to be terrified of indirect at all times? My entire game plan changes whether or not you have indirect. Second question, question is like, what are your uh, def- major defensive profiles? Are you running a ton of holes? You know, are you playing cast knights or tank spam of some kind? Or are you running a lot of infantry? And the third question in my mind is what are, is like, I, I'm a weirdo, but like the next biggest question in my mind is what are your movement keywords? Are you playing a lot of infantry? Are you playing a lot of mounted or vehicles? Are you playing a lot of fly? Admittedly, like I'm kind of swarm biased on the brain still, but like these are probably the three biggest questions in my mind that I need to know about. And then we can kind of take it from take it from there. What do you what do you what do you think about this, Lucas? You're looking at me like I have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm looking at you like that because I kind of zoned out for a second. I'm sorry. Valid. Um, answer. Yeah, go for it. While I think for a sec. All right. First thing I look for lore section. They don't have any lore. I immediately judge them and I rank their list one tier lower. After that, um, if they've had a funny list name, it's kind of like a wash. Um, <laughs> after that, though, I definitely look for like w- when I come in with like an army, I'm like, here's my army's like generic game plan into faceless opponent, right? Like Votan is like go forward, like put Sagittars on objective, like put pressure up, get bikes ready, have like Hearthguard in the sky ready to ingress in, like let's go uh hypercrypt right it's like you know um what is it like look for like plays if i'm going first look for plays if i'm going second um have models positioned to do various secondaries right um so a lot of that is like looking for like what in their list can disrupt my game plan like do they have scouts do they have infiltrators like what's their turn one threat ranges um Another thing too, especially with Hypercrypt, is do they have Overwatch and how effective is that Overwatch? Do they have infiltrators and like what kind of infiltrators? How are they going to play them? Is it like Dark Strider who sits on their back home field, 
or is it two squads of five infiltrators that sit like very forward pressure? Like, how am I going to have to play? To be clear, by infiltrator, you mean 12 inch no deep strike, not the infiltrator rule. Yes, my bad. 12 inch no deep strike. I did say infiltrators earlier as well. Yeah. Um, those things, the infiltrator rule, it's like, yeah, what do they have? Like, if I have scouts, like Votan, do they have things that forward deploy and can block my scout moves? That sort of thing. Um, yeah. So that's definitely what I look for uh, when I look at most of the lists. And then kind of in general, looking through the list and seeing like what kind of synergies exist. Um, like, okay, here's some leaders, like which units are they gonna probably join? Try to figure out what I think their like general game plan is so I can start thinking about how to disrupt it. So that's kind of the first stuff that I look at. I tend to look um, at my opponent's lists and look for killer units. So, like, any unit that's going to do a lot of damage to me or has, like, profiles that I know I'm going to be scared of is, is something that I'm going to need to pay attention to, not only, like, starting a deployment and also all the way throughout the game. So, I look for the killer units. I'm just going to frame this in context of Chaos Nets because they're, they're what I've mostly played recently. Um, so, like, if I'm looking at a list, I might look at, you know, an enemy orc list and see, oh, they've got Gazgul and Meganobs. That's going to be a serious issue for me. They're, they're the killers here. Um, I'm playing against Space Marines. They've got Sword Brethren and, and Lancers. Those are going to be killers for me. Whereas, like, you know, someone who's playing a Horde or a Swarm or MSU Army might not care about a Lancer at all. So, like, you, it, it, the, the enemy killer units are unique to what you're playing. So I try to find those killer units and then think, try to brainstorm ways that I'm going to mitigate them. Maybe if I can prevent them from shooting on turn one and two, then I only have to get shot by them three times over the course of the game instead of five. Um, you know, if I find ways to ambush them, in an unorthodox faction, it might be able to like isolate and destroy one of those lancers before it gets to really shoot very much on turn two or something like that with some reserves. Just some kind of way to to try to ambush my opponent's killer units and, and remove their effectiveness throughout the course of the game. The other thing I look for is who's um, you look for your competitive advantage here. So like, let's for you know there, there's kind of a couple of examples. Um, you're you're kind of looking for who. Uh, what your army does better than your opponent's army, and then what they're going to try to leverage against you. You compare those two things, and whoever has like the stronger competitive advantage is like the defender because they will win the game if nothing on uh, nothing crazy happens. And the person that is less well off is going to be the attacker. They have to like go out and do something to affect the game state and try to flip the game on its head. So, like a classic example is like if I'm playing Chaos Knights into GSC. I'm the defender because if nothing crazy happens over the course of the game, I'm just going to win the game. Um, you know, he, the, my opponent, the, the GSC player, has to disrupt the status quo to try to win. Whereas if I'm playing against Eldar pre-nerf and probably post-nerf as well, um, it's, you know, I, I am the attacker because I have to go out there and do things that I'm not super comfortable with to try to, like, flip the game on its head and, and turn on the Eldar. Um, so... That's kind of what I'm looking at there and uh, how competitive advantage works into all that is, you know, you have to use the the one thing your list is good at or the one thing your opponent's weak, list is weak to in order to, to try to win the game there. So in the Eldar example, I would have to, you know, one of their big advantages is they're super fast. I would have to kind of match that speed as well. Um, you know, Eldar kind of like playing with their super fast models against slower armies and locking them down. If... Chaos Knights just deploying the line and full send. Some of their stuff's going to make it, and then as soon as you make it to Eldar and actually get them in your sights, they kind of melt away. 
So um, just kind of using that speed to my to my advantage is the best thing to do. And also the high OC. Eldar tend to not really put things on objectives. They're kind of like big cowards. So if you can just stand on the points better than them for long enough, you have a shot at winning. Very cool. I'm with it. Sweet. Well, that runs down the end of our uh, of our listener listener question section. I think it's a pretty reasonable uh, timestamp here. Uh, next week, we you should be back on the second at the normal normal time for our last episode uh, before Cascade. We may do a uh, a prep episode, run down what these actual lists are and how they're going to function, so as to make that episode a little bit more reasonable in time. Or we may have something else to talk about, depending on what comes up during the week. But uh, you, unless you guys have anything else you wanted to, to bring up here, I think we're good to, to wrap it up. Sweet. Well, with that all being said and done, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I've been Tyler. I've been Nick. I am Lucas V. Troller, wielder of the dog. Sure. And catch y'all next week for another episode of Take All Comers. Best of luck with your newest pivots. I look forward to seeing you then. Take care, everyone. I'm pivoting to, I'm pivoting to Fortnite.